Welcome to Seize Your Midlife, the podcast exclusively for midlife women. I'm your host, Bree Schumacher. We are going to dive into all the things from health and hormones to beauty and wellness. We'll be asking the question, what's my midlife purpose? And what am I going to do with the rest of my life? We'll also be interviewing women who've taken leaps or made U-turns in midlife. This conversation is going to be engaging, sometimes educational, a little bit funny, and always real. It is my sincere hope that you find your midlife purpose and lead your most fulfilling life. So join us on this journey to seize your midlife. Let's go. Hello, hello, and welcome back to another episode of Seize Your Midlife. I am so glad that you are here today. And I am especially excited because I have a new guest on the show. Jill Hole is a wife, a mom, a special needs warrior and advocate. Jill is also a physical therapist with over 20 years of experience, and she is the owner of Alea Physical Therapy and Wellness. Her passion is serving women in their homes where they are so busy serving everyone else. And I'm sure that all of you listening can relate to that. So welcome to the show, Jill. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited you're here. Okay, so as you know, the first question I ask on every episode is, how old are you? I am 47 years young. 47. Me too. We're the same. Yeah. (laughs) All right. And where are you right now? Right now, I am in my guest bedroom, which doubles as my home office. My husband used to, my husband took over my actual office when he started working from home. So I'm in my guest bedroom. Yes, it does. (laughs) And are you in Texas, right? Yes, I am in Texas outside of Austin. All right. Well, and it's kind of fun how Jill and I got connected. Um, A friend from Wisconsin just said, I can hear Jill's voice on your podcast. Like, you need to reach out to her. And so that is how we connected. And we had a really fun pre-conversation to this conversation, um, which was really fun and made me realize, yes, her voice needed to be on the podcast. So really, really fun little background there. But Jill, it sounds like You went to Bradley University in Illinois, which I also just loved and felt like we were meant to be connected because my mom went there, my uncles went there, my grandparents even met there. So, Yes. Okay. And you studied physical therapy there and you told me this cute story about how your mom kind of set up you and your husband at a party, your now husband, then stranger. (laughs) (laughs) And you end up falling in love, and eventually you get married. Yes, that's true. They did set me up. They said, we want you to meet this this kid. He's really nice. You, We really like him, so you probably won't. And it turns out that I liked him. So oh things gosh. worked out. <laughs> I don't think that that success story happens often. <laughs> I think you're right. <laughs> I love that. And eventually, you and your husband decide that you want to start a family, and it sounds like you just really struggled with infertility. And I I wanted to dive a little bit into that because I know there are a lot of women listening that that is something that unfortunately they can relate to as well. Can you talk a little bit about that? 
Sure, of course. So we, you know, tried to decided we wanted to have a family and tried to get pregnant and were unable to. And I think it was about a year after we started trying that we decided to turn to fertility treatment, ended up doing a total of nine cycles unsuccessfully. So we were never able to get pregnant. It was a lot. You know, we went through a lot, um, a lot of challenges. It was interesting. My brother also was unable to have kids. And so, you know, our next step was kind of clear for us after we were unable to get pregnant. Yeah. And I mean, that just sounds like a lot of probably, you know, raised hopes and disappointments. And I just imagine like a really big roller coaster of emotions. Yes, it was, you know, and at the time I knew quite a few people who were struggling to get pregnant and, you know, at the varying, you know, levels of infertility, whether that was early on or later. And I was the only one of the girls, the women that I knew at the time that didn't end up getting pregnant. So that was even more challenging. Oh, I bet. And it is so interesting because I think we spend so much of our young adult lives preventing getting pregnant, right? (laughs) Right. And so we don't even realize because I feel like when we're younger, nobody talks to us about like getting pregnant might not be easy. It might not work out. And I think that that's something that's kind of shocking as you get to that stage where you're like, oh my gosh, so many women are going through this. Yes, definitely. I totally agree. It was never something I even, you know, considered that I wouldn't be able to get pregnant. It was, I feel like it's kind of just assumed. So when you, you are kind of thrust into that situation, it's a lot of emotions. It's a lot to, to sort of process and, and sort through. Yeah, I can imagine. But you, you know, after these heartaches and everything, you make the decision to grow your family through adoption. So can you talk about what that experience was like with your first child, who I believe was your son, Nathan, right? Yes. Yes, that's right. We adopted my son, Nathan. Um, He was born in 2005. So for us, the turn to adoption was easy. My brother, I started to mention that earlier, my brother also was unable to have kids and um, ended up adopting a son. And so it was kind of an easy decision for us. I think maybe easier for us than some other people. We knew we wanted a family. And so so that was the route that we just decided we were going to go. And so, yeah, we adopted Nathan. Um, initially, we signed up with an adoption facilitator, which is a little bit different than an agency. And the reason we did that was because um, there was always the possibility of my husband's job moving us. And we didn't want to be with an agency that was local and then have kind of lost that time if we had to move. So we waited a while with the adoption facilitator and then Nathan actually kind of fell into our laps. I was a physical therapist. We lived in Omaha, Nebraska, and I was working with a Spanish speaking patient and an interpreter named Blanca. I'll never forget her name. And in physical therapy, you know, you see your patients for 45 minutes to an hour, you really get to know them and they get to know you. So, you know, I learned their stories and they learned mine and they knew that we were waiting, you know, to adopt and that that was the path that we were on. And I finished with my patient. And a few months later, the interpreter came back with another patient and she stopped me and said, Hey, I would love to chat with you. You know, I have met this woman who's um, pregnant and she's unsure sort of what she's going to do. And so, like I said, Nathan kind of fell in our laps. And so that was how it happened for our first one. Wow, what divine intervention that sounds yeah. like. Incredible. Yeah, it was it was crazy. It was pretty neat. So is Nathan's heritage like from a Spanish speaking country then? Actually, it is. He's Guatemalan. 
Oh my gosh. Well, yes. and I think I told you that I'm running a trip to Guatemala. Yes. 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 Oh my gosh. Yes. Oh. yes. And we are so excited. We would, we're really hoping to take him to Guatemala here. He's 17 now. So it's been a long time ago that we went through this process, but um, it's always been one of my dreams to take him to Guatemala. So I feel like this was also another little connection that we have that yes. maybe was meant to be. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And oh my gosh, you're going to love it. It's the most magical, wait. magical yes. place. Oh my goodness. Yes. Well, so in between your first child and your second child, it sounds like you had another really heart-wrenching experience. Can you talk about that? Sure. Yeah. So we adopted Nathan and then um, started on kind of a wait list again about two years later. Um, And we waited for a while and ended up getting connected with a birth mom that was in Dallas. And we came to Dallas when she was due. We were in the delivery room when the baby was born. And we even brought the baby home, not home to our home, because at the time we lived in Wisconsin. So home to our where we were staying in Dallas at the time um, from the hospital. And it ended up being a failed adoption. She decided that she wanted to parent the baby. And so that was was a a pretty challenging time as well. Oh my goodness. I just can't even imagine, you know, being there in the delivery room, holding that baby, bringing that baby home, and then having to hand the baby over. That must have just been devastating. Yeah, it was. It was, it was one of the hardest things I've ever had to do. I think, you know, adoption is not for the faint of heart. It is the biggest blessing in our lives because it has allowed us to build our family. But it was a it was a process. You know, again, building our family was not it, it wasn't easy. It, it really took a lot of work. Yeah. But it didn't deter you. You go on then to adopt your daughter, Lauren. Mm-hmm. And you talked to me a little bit about how you know, as Lauren was kind of growing up, you started to just see some things that you were like, you know what, I'm kind of from a healthcare background and I just see some things that are raising some red flags for me. So can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Yeah. I, because I'm a physical therapist, I don't do pediatrics, but you know, I have, you know, that education. And so as she was growing, even just that first year, she wasn't really hitting the milestones that she should have been hitting. And so I started to get a little bit concerned and it was, we actually spent the first year of her life in actually the first year and a half in Wisconsin and our mutual friend who I was really good friends with at that time and spent a lot of time with, I remember telling her that I said, you know, watch her play. Um, I was just able to identify some things, you know, she wasn't able to see the cause and effect of kind of a toy that she was playing with. And so I was just starting to see some things. And so before we left Wisconsin, um, I had, you know, called and gotten early intervention started. And so, so then we started down that process. Yeah. And it sounds like eventually you do get the diagnosis of autism, which you talked about how, you know, because you saw these markers kind of early on, you weren't super shocked by Right. Yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't a, like a, a difficult day to have that diagnosis. I already knew, you know, um, I felt like I knew a lot of the things that I was going to be told. Um, it was just a process of kind of formalizing it. And I think that was, again, a blessing of my healthcare background, you know, more than anything. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and we talked about how, you know, in raising your children and, you know, working as a physical therapist, you really saw your own health journey kind of 
to make a make a U-turn. Um, and <laughs> you said it was really like your late 30s, 37. Yes. Where you started to just be like, what is happening with my body? Um, yes, I was. <laughs> what? So what was happening? <laughs> At the time, I had no idea what was happening. Looking back on it, I definitely understand it. One of the very first things that happened around that age was I had gone home to visit my parents. And, you know, you go on vacation for a week and you gain, you know, three three, four or five pounds, and then you come home and it comes off. And so that trip home, I, I just remember it. I came home and I thought, why is this five pounds not coming off like it usually does? And so that was kind of the beginning of, you know, some weight gain and some of those changes that you start to see as you you come into perimenopause. So that was the very first thing and kind of the thing that sort of was this red flag that I thought, what is happening? You know? Yeah. And um, it's interesting that you say the word perimenopause because they say that perimenopause can last literally upwards of a decade. And yet we literally don't hear that word. Like we we don't hear that word, which I think is so fascinating that something that could happen to us for 10 years straight that we have no education on. And actually, I think I mentioned this to you that I heard somewhere that a general OB only gets like one year of training on perimenopause and menopause, which is insane. Yeah, you did mention that. And I think I, my response was that I wasn't surprised <laughs> um, based on my own experience. Yeah. Okay. So you had the weight gain. Was there anything else that you were like, because I know that is like probably the thing I feel like that women are like, OMG, like (laughs) I I can't, like I don't want to purchase all new jeans. Like this is so frustrating. So were there some other things though that were happening too? Sure. At the time, you know, initially that was the primary thing that I was starting to question. But then over the next, you know, like you said, perimenopause can last a really long time. And so over... The next, I don't know, gosh, three to four years, maybe I was noticing a gradual increase in my cholesterol when I got my blood work back. And it was, it was interesting because in my head, I thought this isn't really happening, right? Like my cholesterol is not going up. I'm really healthy. Like this shouldn't be a problem for me. And so it was, all of these things were kind of very gradual until hot flashes hit. And then those like hit me like a ton of bricks, but (laughs) Um, so yeah, a variety of things, but I would say the weight gain and then the gradual increase in cholesterol was not something that I ever expected and not something that I connected with these types of changes. Oh my gosh. Okay. So can I tell you that the last time I had my blood checked, my cholesterol had also gone up and I'm like a kale spinach eater, you know, like mm-hmm. what, what is happening here? <laughs> and I mentioned to you that I had been taking this perimenopause class that I've taken a yes. very, very long time to be in the middle of. <laughs> but one of the things that they talked about in there was how estrogen levels impact heart health and cholesterol, which I you're you are a hundred percent that nobody talks about that. Nobody has that education. Um, at least like the average layperson doesn't know that. And I think that's so fascinating. And that heart disease is like the number one killer of women, and right. that it could be related to hormones, which is crazy. Yes. And I, you know, it's interesting too, because I think, you know, not just cholesterol, but things like joint pain, you know, body aches, there's a lot of things that come on that you, again, don't really connect unless you do your homework and your research. You know, um, there's my feet were hurting and I, I thought, why are my feet hurting? Maybe it's because I've gained weight, but I don't really think it is. Again, you know, I keep saying to lots of people, everyone I meet that I talk about with this, I'm like, you know, like I never knew what hormones did for me specifically 
specifically estrogen. I had no idea all of the benefits of estrogen until I didn't have it anymore. <laughs> right. Right. Oh my gosh. Can I tell you, a friend of mine contacted me and she's like, can I tell you, you are a lifesaver. I thought I was going crazy. And I was like, what are you talking about? And she's like, you posted on your Instagram, like an Instagram story of all these crazy symptoms that could be from perimenopause. And one of them was like itchy, peely ears or something like the, like the most bizarre thing ever. And she's like, I literally have been like, am I going crazy? Why are my ears so itchy? Like she. Oh, that's she so goes, funny. Oh my no, goodness. No, I know. No, I know. I'm not crazy. <laughs> <laughs> funny. So yeah, it is. It's like a whole slew of symptoms. And I feel like, you know, when you said, well, then the hot flashes hit, I feel like yes. that's the only thing that we heard from our mothers or our grandparents, you know, our grandmothers. So that's the, the only thing that we had looked out for. Right. Yeah, I agree with you. I think so. And and for me, the hot flashes hit much later. I mean, I was having all of these other things gradually creeping in well before I had hot flashes. Which I think is common. Like I think yeah. most people have those more subtle things, you know, like weird things with their period or weird headaches mm -hmm. or all of those little tiny things kind of creep up before the hot flashes, which are like the red flag. Before then, you've got all the little tiny pink flags that right, are right. on your, your wellness. On your system, yes, yes, for sure. And a lot of times on your mental health too. Oh, gosh. I think a lot of mental health stuff, you know, I mean, you hear about brain fog and you hear about kind of, you know, emotional mood swings, that type of thing during perimenopause. I think there's, there's so, there's such a huge piece of the mental health. And I think part of that too, is that we, we tend to just keep it to ourselves because, you know, I don't want to tell everybody else that I'm struggling with this. And, you know, as a woman, you feel like you're, you know, maybe I'm not, I'm kind of failing at home, I'm failing here, whatnot. And so I think there's a lot of mental health, a big mental health aspect to this, for sure. A hundred percent. And one of the things that you mentioned to me, which I just like, it breaks my heart because you are one of many, many women I have interviewed that has said they went to their doctor for a certain thing and felt dismissed. So can you talk about how, you know, you did go to the doctor for these things, but it was you yourself that kind of uncovered what was really going on? Yeah, for sure. So at 37 or 38, when I made that trip home, you know, I we had moved to Texas and I, I did go to a doctor and actually they did blood work at that time and told me that I was perimenopausal. And so that was it. There was no other education to it, but I was told that by a physician. Well, within a couple of years, I switched doctors to a doctor that was a little bit closer to where I lived. And when I went in and I was starting to notice more and, you know, kind of questioning things, she was like, oh, you're absolutely not perimenopausal. You're way too young. There's no way you're perimenopausal. And I was like, okay, well, I'm pretty sure that I am. <laughs> and so, sure? yes, yeah, so felt very dismissed by the doctor. I ended up switching to another doctor and have since switched again um, to find somebody that really would listen to me and because I feel like I know my body best. Yeah. And I love, like, I want everyone to really hold on to that message because yes. all of the women that have been in that situation, they they knew they needed to keep advocating for themselves because, again, you know when something's not right in your body. You know right. better than anyone. Yeah, absolutely. So I know you mentioned like you've since gone on hormones and it sounds like you're feeling better, right? I am. So originally, you know, when I first, you know, as it, as it kind of started and 
as I really recognized what was happening, I guess, I started doing my own research. Um, when I did finally get the diagnosis of menopause, like being post-menopause, my blood work was final. And basically the doctor said, okay, so you're young and these are the hormones that we would, we would recommend. And that was it. And she was like, here's your prescription. And I said, I don't want a prescription. I want to do my homework and do my research. I'm, I try to lean more holistic. I'm not sure I want to do hormones. And so I um, kind of ran with that. I didn't start with hormones at all. I did a lot of homework. You know, I was, I did a lot of research and I, you know, did some seminars and listened to a lot of women and listened to a lot of different, you know, podcasts and different things like this actually to learn more about you know, kind of what was happening with my body so that I could make an informed decision. And even then I didn't want to do hormones initially um, because of my infertility. I was always, I've always been kind of concerned about, you know, doing hormone replacement therapy um, because we didn't get pregnant. And so eventually I follow in my mom's footsteps. Menopause has been rough on me. It's been really rough. (laughs) And my mom is the same way. And so I did just this last year, decide that I wanted to try some things, try some hormone replacement for a little while, just to sort of allow me to like gain my footing again. And, you know, maybe try to bring my cholesterol down, build a little bit of muscle mass and do some things for my body that would make it easier so that when I go off of those hormones, I will be kind of more prepared for what's going to happen, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) And, you know, I know that a lot of women do worry about the, you know, HRT, um, hormone replacement therapy, but that it really, like, if you are suffering, that it really can be a lifesaver. Yes. So I think that's important. And I like that you were like, no, you know what? I'm going to go home. I'm going to do the research. And one of the things that you and I chatted about that I want to chat about now is that all of a sudden there are podcasts about perimenopause and menopause and celebrities. You know, I feel like our generation, Generation X, has produced a lot of celebrities, you know, actresses and things like that who are now out there really talking about perimenopause and menopause. They are starting companies even. I saw even recently Michelle Obama was being interviewed talking about <laughs> her experience with menopause. Like it's it's public information all of a sudden. Why do you think that is? Well, I think, you know, it's funny. I mentioned my mom earlier. So you know, as I started going through these changes and, and, you know, struggling with some of the things that I was struggling with, I remember my mom saying, you know, back in the day when women would go through menopause, like people would think that she was crazy. Like literally they thought that she was just going kind of crazy because nobody talked about it. Nobody even knew it. The women didn't even really know what was happening with their bodies. Um, and so, over time, you know, obviously we're in the information age, right? So like we have, you know, all of this social media now and, you know, lots of different, you know, outlets to hopefully bring this to light. I, you know, I, I think it's just taken time, just like, you know, the mental health conversation has taken a lot of time to arrive. Right. And so I feel like this is, you know, kind of along those same lines, it's taken time and it's taken, you know, I think transition of, you know, women's roles and, you know, women's empowerment even, right. Like we feel more empowered to talk about things than we ever, you you know, used to as women. Yeah, I think too, it's interesting. I did an interview with a woman, super smart woman with her, you know, MBA from Georgetown who started this sexual wellness company. And she said this really fascinating fact to me, and that's that they interviewed thousands of women about their sexual wellness and that our generation, 
was very like embarrassed and like kind of like ashamed to talk about anything related to sex. But the generation after us, like the millennials and beyond, they were like, ask me anything. I'm an open (laughs) book. Like, and so I do think that things are shifting in conversation and that, you know, just like sexual wellness needs to be a conversation that's coming to the forefront as does perimenopause and menopause. Yes, I totally agree. And I think, I think we're there. You know, I mean, we're sitting here talking about it, right? So, I mean, I definitely, I think we're there. And I think as, as women, we're all ready for it. Like, you know, I think we've suffered in silence, like as women for a lot of years around perimenopause and and menopause and maybe even sexual wellness, like you're discussing. And so I think that it's time. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I love all the things that are being put out into the world right now and that we can be part of this conversation. And I think this really formative time for hopefully shaping the education and conversation for the generation below us. So they are not at the doctor being dismissed that, yes, you know, they're, they're like, okay, I hear you. I see you. This is what's happening to you. Right, right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Hopefully it will, that will that is exactly what will happen. On to the next question. <laughs> <laughs> Through all of this, you ultimately make the decision that you're going to leave your full-time physical therapy job and go out on your own to start a company. Is that right? Yes. Well, so actually when Nathan was 1, I left my full-time physical therapy job. I managed a clinic and when he was 1, I decided I wanted to go part-time. So I have actually worked part-time, but consistent part-time for all of those years, so Nate's 17, um like I mentioned. And so, but then during COVID was when I really made that shift to leave my my regular traditional job and start my own company. So, you know, just like everybody else, like that COVID pivot, right? Like a lot of soul searching and and making some decisions on like, where do I go from here? And so that's kind of how that happened. So fascinating that COVID conversation, because I think like it obviously was a curse in so many ways, but a blessing in other ways, right? Like it gave people just the quiet and the space to go, really want to do? What, yeah. What's the next step? And so it sounds like you make that decision. And so what did that look like for you? And what was your vision when you decided to start Alea? So when I started Alea, so I did a little bit of soul searching. I wasn't really sure. You know, even I had been doing physical therapy for a lot of years. And so even just that idea of, is this still what I want to do? Um, you know, I had leaned a bit more holistic in the last few years. And so I thought, well, maybe I want to do health coaching or maybe I want to do, you know, something a little bit different that just looks different. And then I ultimately came back to, I've always loved my job as a physical therapist. It's what I know. It's what I'm good at. And so that's kind of where I went with it. I just thought, why reinvent the wheel that way I can kind of reinvent the wheel by opening my own business, but let's just do what I love. So that's kind of how I started. It's been amazing. It's been great. It's been such a, such kind of an adventure, right? Like I never really expected at this point in my life that I would be opening my own business and starting my own thing, but it has been really fun and it's given me a great outlet. Not only have I been able to, you know, serve women, like you mentioned at the beginning, but I'm doing networking and I'm meeting people and it's, so it's just very different than what I've done in the past. Well, and I love that. And I think it's so important that women know that they can start something so new and challenging in midlife and that it's actually easier even than in your 20s because you're coming from a place of knowledge, of experience, of 
I think knowing you have something to fall back on, you know, I think about you, you had 20 years of experience as a physical therapist. If your business didn't work out, you could just go get another job, right? Right. Absolutely. Yeah. It does make it easier, right? I mean, I think you're right, you know, and I think that, you know, that experience is just so important, you know, for me, especially it was so so important to think, okay, I have this experience. I got the physical therapy part. Like I want to do something different, you know, a little bit new. Yeah. And I think so often we get kind of stuck in what we have been doing. And part of why I think midlife can kind of start to feel a little bit dull and repetitive. And so leaning into that, like, okay, what's the next thing? Right. I think is powerful. And so you and I talked a little bit about this, and I think it's definitely important to talk about. And that is, you know, just like we talked about happened during COVID, I think for every age group, right? Of like, what's happening? What am I doing? What's my purpose? But middle life is really also such a reflective time. And I know you talked about it really being reflective for you. Can you talk about that? Yes, for sure. So I I also, you know, as I was a physical therapist and was doing part-time because of Lauren, I got involved in doTERRA and um, it really allowed me to kind of just look at who I am and, you know, sort of set a path for myself in a way that I'd never done before. Um, so a lot of reflection has happened since I started with doTERRA. So that was even before I quit my part-time job at, at my traditional clinic. I I felt like it was really kind of life-changing for me to be able to really just kind of take the time to sit down and look back and then kind of also then, okay, this is where I've been and this is where I want to go. And I do that a little bit every year actually now. I think that it's super important to kind of live intentionally. Otherwise, time just passes you by. I mean, you are (laughs) – seriously, I I relate so much to this because I think midlife, like when I started to kind of do what you're talking about, that like, okay, like where have I been? Where am I going? And oh, crap, am I running out of time? Like (laughs) I just think that there – like there are so many women in midlife that are doing that right now. And I think it's interesting because when we look back at like – you know, people, I don't know. I remember when my my stepdad is a lot younger than my mom. And I remember when he was turning 40, it was like we were celebrating him becoming an old man. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> it was like you you kind of think of like the old school way of looking at midlife was like you're over the hill. But like I think right now the way that we look at midlife is like, no, you're on top of like the mountain. You have climbed the mountain and now you're looking down and it's not like you're falling off the cliff, you're like, okay, I've got this next half and what am I going to do? Yeah, I think so. I think to some extent that's true, you know, but I do think that it is a mindset shift. Like you mentioned, you know, like I think as a society, we're definitely moving more towards that. I think as women, sometimes we do have that. Well, like, what do I want to do? You know, like, I don't know, can I even do it? Right? Like, is it even possible? You know, even, you know, like you said, like at, you know, midlife trying to completely shift and change and do something completely different. It's, it's a little bit scary, even now, I think. It is so scary. And I can tell you, and you and I talked a little bit about this, like how some days you just feel solid, like I am killing it. And then the next day you're like, I should probably just stay in bed and watch Netflix. Like, <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. It's a roller coaster for sure. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so what do you think that's about? 
I don't know. I think it's okay, honestly. I mean, I especially think, you know, as, you know, kind of shifting this conversation a little bit back to perimenopause and menopause, like I think, you know, as women during this time, oftentimes our bodies are changing so much that, you know, it's hard to keep up. And so I think that there are days that I think I am on fire. I'm going to light the world on fire. Everybody's, it's all good. And then, like you said, the next day I'm like, I don't want to get out of bed. I just, I kind of just want to, like you said, chill and watch Netflix, right? But I do think that that's okay. I don't lay in bed very often. Um, sometimes I sleep in occasionally, but <laughs> you know, I usually, you know, rally and get up and, and do the thing. But I think it's kind of normal. And I again, I think that, you know, as women, we need to kind of normalize that to some extent and know that, you know, life is tough, right? If you have a family, you know, you have that piece of it. If you have a, you know, uh, an important job or any job that's important, right? We're, we're juggling a lot of balls and I think that it's okay to feel like you just need a down day. Yeah. Well, and I mean, don't get me wrong. I am not there. I don't think there are any days that I stay right. in bed right. watching Netflix, but I mean, I will <laughs> prop up my phone while I wash the dishes. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> And that is just fine. <laughs> right. Right. And I think it's like the other part of that conversation about like midlife, I think, you know, one, it's that like reflective, how much time do I have left? And also, like you said, it's scary to make a change. Mm-hmm. But if you don't make a change, you don't want to get to the end of your life or these kind of thriving years and say, gosh, I wish I would have. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And I think that's why that reflection and that intentional planning is kind of important. You know, everything that you plan may not come to fruition, but I think that planning piece is important, you know, because without the plan and and some goals in place, you know, you're going nowhere pretty much, right? Like, you know, you're just kind of spinning your wheels, I guess. Yeah. Or just, I think also there's kind of this like lackluster feel that kind of starts to set in. Whereas yes, when you try something true. new, you kind of get like your zest back, you know, like so bringing your yes. stuff. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I agree. That's very true. Even though it's scary. Scary can scary can add a little bit of fire under you. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. We I tell my kids that all the time. I'm like, we can do hard things. It's okay. You know, yes. we can do hard things. So I, I love it. You're channeling your inner Glennon Doyle. <laughs> I know, right? Oh, that's right. That's her. That's probably where that's I got her. it from, yes, actually. Yes, we can do hard things. Yes, yes. I like yes. it. I love her. So me too. Me too. Her podcast is awesome. <laughs> okay, so one of the things that we also talked about was how mom life a lot of times shifts in midlife, which really contributes to this feeling of like, oh gosh, what's next and what's my purpose? Can you talk a little bit about that? I think so. I think I think that does happen because, you know, if you are a mom, you are, you know, I'm Nate's mom and I'm Lauren's mom and I've been that for, you know, 17 years, right? I've had, you know, we've had a family for 17 years. And so your identity sort of becomes a mom. I feel like, you know, even if a lot of times you're working other places and you're doing other things, I still feel like kind of our identity is as a mom. And so as our kids grow and get a little bit older and they don't need us as much anymore, I think that's where you, and and usually that's in that midlife shift, right? I mean, typically, you know, depending upon how old you had kids, but you know, you're getting to that age where you're starting to probably have those midlife things happening anyway. And so now you're like, well, I'm not, I'm still a mom. I'll always be a mom, but it's not quite as like the center of my world as it used to be. And so, like you said, you have to go, well, how, 
what, you know, what is my purpose as a human? Now that I'm, my mom role is, is, you know, sort of, I don't want to say winding down because I don't think it ever winds down, but you know, to some extent it does from a day-to-day perspective. So then you go, well, what's next? Absolutely. I think that's such an important conversation. And I think if we can have that conversation, honestly have that conversation before we get to the point that our kids are like stepping out the door and you're about to be an empty nester so that you're not dealing with two crises at once, like your own midlife crises and the you know crises of missing your child when they leave, um, I think it's important to have that conversation early on. And one of the things that I love, um, Dave Hollis, I don't know if you know who that is, um, uh-huh. Ra- Rachel Hollis is ex-husband. Yes. <laughs> yes, I do know. I don't follow him much now, but I do know who he is. Yeah. Well, he said something that for some reason has just always stuck with me. And I think it's such a good question to ask here and to ask ourselves. And that is, who were you before all your responsibilities? That's great. That's great. I was actually just thinking of that as you were talking too, because I have one of my best friends. After she became a mom, she wasn't working. She was just momming. Like that is what she was doing. And she was so amazing. But after a handful of years of doing that, she really went through and she was still young. You know, she had her kids pretty young. She was, you know, really not in midlife at that point. But she went through, I think, uh, you know, that loss of who she was because she was so much of a mom that I think there was a point that she thought, well, who am I, you know, what happened to me? So I think that's a great question. Yeah. And I I think you're hundred percent right that a lot of women have been asking that question for a long time. Yeah. Especially a lot of stay-at-home moms. I think that that, you know, kind of going, oh gosh, this has been like huge part of my identity. Now, how do I kind of go back and dig into like the core of my spirit. And I think the answer to that a lot of times is like thinking about yourself pre-kids and who you were and what brought you joy and what lit you on fire and like go back to that. Yeah. Because we all had goals and dreams, right? And sometimes, you know, as life happens, we let go of some of those things. So I love that. That's, That's a great advice. Just really good advice. Yeah. And we tried new things. I think that's the other thing is like even if you're not going to make like a – you know, you made a pretty major shift, right? Like you started a new company. But I think even if you're not somebody that's going to make this huge, bold shift – Maybe you just try something new. You try a new hobby. You take a painting class. You, you know, learn to make homemade pasta. You do something to kind of get your zest back. I think that that's such an important thing in midlife to like make sure you're doing so that you don't feel that sense of kind of emptiness or who am I? Yes. You know, maybe you always wanted to learn to play piano, but it never happened. So, you know, it's a perfect time to start something new like that. Yes. I mean, I am not musically inclined, but I am sure there are others listening that (laughs) – That might not be everyone's goal. It's not everyone's dream. Right, right. Maybe it's ice skating. I mean, who knows, right? Everybody has their like childlike spirit inside them for sure, even in midlife. Yes. Okay. So one of the things that I loved that you talked about was looking at your life and your list of to-dos and saying, scratch some of those things off undone. I'm not keeping it on the list. I'm taking it off the list. Talk about that. So actually, this was just kind of recently, just this fall. So I mentioned to you that I do this kind of reflective process with this gal that I um, have been following for a few years. And it's called the Beautiful Life Lab. And this year, and she kind of walks you through it. You can do it at any time, but she walks you through it. And so this year, one of the things that she said was, what's on your to-do list that needs to come off? And it really resonated with me because specifically with my business, there were a couple of things on 
on my to-do list that have literally been on my to-do list for like two years. And I just keep ignoring them. And it dawned on me that they are not in my zone of genius. While maybe it would be great to do them, that maybe I need to let go of that because I always am feeling guilty that I'm not getting those things done. And so this year, after she said that, I pulled them both off of my to-do list. And I have to tell you that it kind of lightened my load. It definitely makes me feel a little bit lighter knowing that I've taken those things off and I actually have kind of added some other things that more are in my zone of genius, you know, like things that do light me up. Right. And so I feel like that was sort of, it was important. It was something that happened to me this fall that was really important. And it allowed me to let go of some things that I had been hanging on to because I thought I should hang on to them. And I kind of realized that it's okay to let them go. Yeah. I think that that is so important. I actually recorded an episode in the beginning of January called Midlife Dreams. And I talk about that, like if you're hitting the brick wall on something, like asking yourself, why am I hitting the brick wall? Like I know you talked about how you had wanted to offer an online course and you just kept like – you kept going from one to-do list to the next and you weren't doing it. And I had a similar thing and I'm like, why am I being weird? Like why am I being weird? So yeah, it's great to reflect on that and go, you know what? Like now's not the time for that. And maybe there will be a time for that down the road, but it was very freeing to be able to let it go. I will be honest with you. It was kind of (laughs) nice. And so what question, if somebody's listening and they are, you know, they have the big to-do list, what kind of things should they look at or should they ask to know what to drop off the list? Well, in my eyes, I mean, obviously something that's been on your list that you just keep avoiding, just exactly what you said, like, you know, analyze why am I not doing this? And maybe you'll come up with some things. For me, it was, you know, a lot of social media and this online course. And part of that is is that I don't love to be on camera. It's not my favorite thing. I'm okay at it, but it's just not my favorite thing. And I'm, I'm creative in some ways, but social media is not necessarily, again, I spend a lot of time for a little output and it's not my zone of genius. So for me, those those things were like, they were kind of gnawing on me and I was feeling guilty about not getting them done. So I think that that was part of what for me allowed me to let those go. If there's something that you're dreading or that you're not, that you're just not, you know, you keep avoiding, I think, you know, taking a step back and analyzing how important is this to me? You know, is this a priority? Can I do it differently? You know, can I make this progress that I want to make in a different way? So I think, again, it's all about that reflection. And if you don't do that, then that that list just gets longer and the things that are on it, some of those things just stay on it and you continue to feel bad about not doing them, right? Yeah. And I like that you use the word dread because I do think that's like, I mean, there are some things that we dread that we have to do, right? Like financials right. or, you know, taxes or, or things like that. There are always things we dread, but these are the things that are like more, you know, to do in your life, in your business, in bigger picture. And I think that important feeling of recognizing that you have a sense of dread about it and that maybe that's a sign to you. Yes. Yes. And then analyze why am I dreading it? You know, why, why is this bothering me so much or why am I avoiding this? That type of thing. So one of the things, Jill, that you mentioned, which I also talk about in my dream episode is working in your zone of genius, which I also like to say, like working in your flow. Can you talk about what that 
looks and feels like. So if somebody listening is like, I have no idea what you're talking about, that they could maybe have a better understanding of that. Sure. So for me, you know, a couple of those things that I wanted to let go of that we were just talking about was one of those things was social media for my business. And I'm not fully letting it go, but I'm definitely letting go of the feeling that I need to do it all the time. And part of that is because I know it's not in my zone of genius. I can sit down and create a social media post and it's fine. It takes me too long. I don't enjoy it. I kind of actually feel like it steals my joy a little bit. And so I think that we all have gifts. And I think that when we are working in our zone of genius, that's where our gifts really shine. And we can do things outside of our zone of genius and that's fine. But you know, for me, I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to let this social media piece go. And at some point here, I'm probably going to hire it to be done because I think, you know, I will get what I need from that. And I'm not, you know, it's not my zone of genius. So I can stay and be happy and work and work successfully in my own zone of genius and allow someone else to do the rest of it. Yes. I think those things that you said, like something that's not in your zone of genius can steal your joy, give you a sense of dread. And then the thing that's in your zone of genius kind of fuels you. And the way I like to describe it too is that you lose time because you're just so engrossed. You're so excited. And just to give you kind of a personal example, I think I maybe even mentioned this to you when we talked before, was that I had created this online class after our retreat that we did for Caesar Midlife. And it had really good content, but I just like couldn't put it out into the world. Like there was something that I was like, why am I being like this? And then I realized like, like you're talking about social media. I feel that way about Zoom. (laughs) There you go. I hate Zoom. And so I was like, I, why am I going to market something that requires me to be on Zoom? I hate Zoom. And so even though I had done all this work, I'm like, I'm dropping it. I'm letting it go. And then I think something that you said, which I kind of want to go back to and just really highlight, is that when you subtract, you leave room for the things that bring you joy and make you work in your zone of genius. And for me, it was the Guatemala trip. That's what filled that. And like all of a sudden, I'm like hours and hours sitting there working on this and like, oh my gosh, happy to keep doing that. You know, and I think everyone has that, right? Yes, I agree. I totally agree. And I I think, you know, when my plan this year was I'm going to let go of the social media and the online course for a while and I'm going to focus on in-person networking because that's kind of where I shine. I love to connect with people, you know, one-to-one and in groups and that type of thing. So that's kind of where I headed to help build my business this year instead of feeling guilty about not doing social media because it would be on my list and I wouldn't do it much anyway. I just decided to make a shift. And I think that that's exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. And I just hope that if you are listening, that you really pay attention to those things because such an important thing for just making sure you have a really full life and a life that you feel excited about, I think is is super important. And one of the things, Jill, that you mentioned to me was how people, especially women, a lot of times focus on what they should be doing instead of what they want to be doing. Can you talk about that? Yeah. So, you know, I think society has a lot of expectations, right? So, you know, in my business, in my personal life, whatnot, right? So I think there are a lot of expectations that we um, have sort of pressed on to us from society. And then I think, you know, we're pretty good at doing that ourselves as well as women, unfortunately. And so sometimes I do think we lose sight of what brings us joy and what we want to be doing, you know, because, you know, the monotony of the day, the day-to-day life of, you know, maybe raising a family or going to work or whatever, you lose sight of what you really want to be doing. So again, I feel like that comes back to that reflection piece. 
Yeah, I think that's so important. And I will make sure that I include, I think it was called the Beautiful Life Lab. Is that what it's called? Yeah, yes. I'll include that in the show notes so that if people are interested, because it sounds like that's been a really important piece for you to reflect. Yes, it has. And her name is Ange Peters. It's A-N-G-E Peters. And she actually is a doTERRA business person. And she's kind of, you know, worked outside of doTERRA and really built a community for herself. And it's she's pretty amazing. She's great. And this program, I, I truly enjoy. I do it every fall. That's amazing. And what would you tell the woman listening that is just feeling kind of unsettled in midlife, just feeling unsure of herself? What would you say? You know, in light of some of the things that we talked about, we've transitioned a little bit, but even from the beginning, I think I mentioned this, listen to your body and trust your own intuition, I think is super, super important. You know your body best. And related to that, if you're in midlife, which likely you are, if you're listening, spend time learning about perimenopause and menopause. No one will teach you. Um, There's a lot of information out there to be had. Um, I highly recommend um, doing it before it hits you, you know, or at least at the very beginning as you start to notice changes, because there are lots of things that happen that I just kept ignoring. And I think that um, had I really been educated from the beginning, that maybe I would have done things a little bit differently. So that's one thing. And then I think the second piece is we didn't touch much on my child with autism, but one of the biggest things I've learned is to connect with other women who struggle with similar things. I have a group of women who are all autism mama warriors and um, connecting with them was kind of life-changing for me because they understood my struggles. I would say that when you connect with a tribe of women that understand your struggles, that they they can actually truly celebrate your joys because they get it. So I think those are the couple things that over my life I have learned that I kind of hold dear to my heart. Yeah. And I think, you know, no matter what your thing is that you struggle with or your interest that there is a tribe for you and that being part of a community and having female relationships is is such an important piece of midlife. And I think one of the most beautiful pieces in midlife is just, you know, how authentically we can be ourselves. So yes. And I think that's the most important piece of finding your tribe is, is knowing that you can just be you and you can talk about whatever it is that is, you know, happening, all the good, all the bad, and that you are accepted no matter what. And so I feel I feel like that's kind of life-changing and um, I know for me that it was and it doesn't matter what your thing is you know maybe you're a mom of kids with soccer and you need that tribe you know it doesn't matter what your tribe is but it's it's somebody that you resonate with and and that you connect with and that understands yes absolutely I mean I definitely miss the skin of my face in my 20s but I don't miss trying to be cool right like yes <laughs> How amazing is it in midlife that you're like, gosh, I am not cool and I don't care. (laughs) And I am just fine with that. (laughs) That's so funny. Very true. Very true. Oh my gosh. Well, I am so glad that we had this conversation today and I love talking to you before too. I I said to you before, like if we were neighbors, we would would for sure be friends. (laughs) Yes, I think so. Thank you so much. It's been so fun. Oh my gosh. It really has been. And so will you just tell everyone where they can find you? Sure. So my website is www.aleawellness.com and that is A-L-E-Y-A wellness.com. And on Facebook, I am Alea PT and Wellness and Instagram at Alea PT Wellness. As I just mentioned, I'm on social media, but I'm not super active, but I am there. So that's where you can find me. I was literally just going to make a joke about that. Like, (laughs) yes, you can have her Facebook, but you might never see her there. (laughs) 
I'll oh be there gosh. a little bit, just not as much as I thought I should a while yeah. back. Hey, let that <laughs> let that go. Let that go. That's right. I have let it go. Oh my gosh. And friends, you let the thing go that you are dreading so that you can let in the thing that brings you joy. Thanks so much for listening and have a great day. If you can so kindly tell a friend about the podcast or give it a rating or review, I would appreciate it so much. The more women that join in on this conversation, the fuller it will be. Thanks again. Bye.